So we are here in uh, Matthew chapter 2, which is really a, a Christmas story. It, it, we are now in this uh, season of Christmas according to the church calendar. And um, th- this story is one that often gets wrapped up into the, uh, to the nativity scene. Like if you, if you have uh, a nativity scene at your house, like the figures and that sort of thing, which, which we have multiple ones of those, the, the wise men. Uh, are often included in that. But this actually happened maybe as much as two years later. So Jesus is actually a toddler here in Matthew chapter 2. And yet there, I, I think that just gives, a, a, for me, as I'm thinking through this passage, like it gives me this different perspective. Uh, there's, maybe there's something more mysterious about the baby, right? And so worship, uh, we, we also have heard that story so long. But the idea of worshiping a toddler uh, is... Uh, a little bit jarring to me, right? Uh, if you've been around a toddler, um, it might be jarring to you as well. Um, but what we find here is this picture of, of the, the wise men. Uh, we don't know how many there were. Um, they give three different gifts. We don't know how many there were. Maybe there were just two or five. Who knows? But they are drawn into worship of this toddler. Uh, and I thought about this idea of being drawn in. Uh, we, we come to Christmas morning and we exchange gifts in our home and uh, and you're drawn into the experience of, uh, of receiving and giving gifts. Uh, it, drawn in to be excited about the things that, that you receive, right? And so Hogan was particularly excited to give us her gift. She'd been talking about it for quite some time. She wanted to give her gift first. And she apparently has, has been working on it for 10 months. Um, uh, I open up uh, a book and uh, it's a cookbook, and it's, it's beautiful. It's got a beautiful cover, and I turn the, over to see the back, and there are beautiful pictures on the back, and I'm drawn in, right? It's, it's, it's beautiful. I like food. Um, I like to cook uh, uh, some things sometimes. Um, and, uh, and, and then you open it up, and there's pictures of us, uh, of our family, uh, gathered around food, uh, pictures of grandparents and uh, siblings and recipes that uh, have come from uh, my mom and Steph's mom and from Stephanie. Uh, and it's this very personal uh, cookbook, right? Uh, and it's beautiful because she spent a lot of time designing it. She's a uh, graphic design major. And so uh, it's really a fun. I was drawn in just more and more things drew me in uh, to, uh, to this gift, right? Uh, lots of things set up to, to draw me uh, in to that cookbook. Um, we have multiple things going on, both in this story and the fact that we're here, the few of us here on uh, the Sunday after Christmas, drawn into worship of the Lord, drawn into worship of this toddler Jesus, even though worship is, these are the things that we're going to see, worship is difficult. Uh, and yet we find that uh, with worship comes this uh, intentionality. It requires this intentionality, and then it ends with joy. Those are the three points that uh, with worship there is this difficulty, um, there is uh, a call for intentionality, and then there is the experience of joy. Um, and let's pray uh, that the Lord would meet us here and that we would have that experience even this morning. Lord, we, we ask for your Holy Spirit to work to draw us into worship in powerful ways. Uh, we love that your story is one of your work uh, and not of ours. So not that we have to gin up um, worship in our own hearts, but that you would work and draw us into that. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Here's this picture of, of the wise men being drawn into worship. And we, we, at some level, maybe desire this, but we recognize the difficulties of that. We, we recognize some of the things that keep us from worship. And one would just be distractions, right? There, there are all kinds of distractions. If we think about the, the wise men, we think about these magi, the things that would have been drawing their attention away. I mean, they've come from a far distance. The, the magi, the wise men, uh, devoted themselves to all kinds of teaching and understanding of the world. And there are all kinds of things that have, could have uh, taken them anywhere. But this house, uh, arguably this just nondescript uh, home in Bethlehem. And, and yet, uh, despite all those distractions, the distraction of this King Herod who... Uh, is, is vying for their attention and their help to find Jesus. Uh, all of those things are going on, and yet they're drawn into worship of him. And we can think about, it would not take us long to list some of the distractions that we might have. Um, uh, uh, both distractions from Sunday morning worship, and, and, and I think about this reality of talking about worship, and particularly there is a focus for us as followers of Jesus of Sunday morning worship, corporate worship, and uh, there's this weird dynamic this morning of uh, if you ever feel like somebody's like pre- preaching right to you, um, there's a greater chance of that uh, uh, with this few people here. Uh, but I'm also talking about worship, and you're actually here uh, on Sunday morning after Christmas, right? So there's some sense of it feeling like preaching to the choir uh, because you're, you're here, right? But there, there is this recognition that we need to have in our own lives of all the things that might distract us from worship. Again, whether that's Sunday morning or whether that's worship throughout our daily lives, whether that's, and, and this uh, hit my own heart, family worship and spending time together, looking at God's word and uh, praying together, or just individual uh, prayer and, and worship, the, the things that distract, right? Because life is uh, busy sometimes, right? Uh, and we could all share stories of how that's the case. And that's true whether, we're, uh, whether we are parents or not parents. You know, we, we all talk about the things that make our lives busy. We all have a long list. And sometimes, uh, and this is true, I, I use uh, illustrations from things that I watch. Sometimes it's just like Netflix and all the things. I mean, we, we could get distracted talking about all the different streaming services that offer thousands of options of things to watch and distract us from other parts of life, right? Um, so distractions, we, we, we all have the things that come into our mind, uh, and there are many. And we recognize that those are real and true and that they affect uh, our being drawn into worship or not. The, the other thing that we see is that there might be uh, things that we're comfortable with, that, uh, that the idea of coming and worshiping, bowing down, falling down before King Jesus, as we talked about last week, falling down before the king... Uh, that, that he might call us to, to sacrifice some things. He might push against those places where we are comfortable. We find that happening here very clearly with Herod, but not only Herod, if we see verse 10, uh, all of Jerusalem, I'm sorry, Herod, verse 3, Herod and all of Jerusalem, that he hears about this. That when Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. So it's not just the king, though clearly his power is challenged. And, and, and Herod actually was known as 
the king of the Jews. He was this appointed king by Rome as the one to rule over the Jews. He, he thought of himself as the king of the Jews. So then this one comes who was promised to be the actual king of the Jews, Jesus. And it's a challenge to his power, his position, the way that things work. But not only for him, but for all of Jerusalem, there was, there was a sense in which they knew that a king being born might change the way that they live lives. The, the way that they do their own lives and, and what it might mean for them. Uh, what are the ways in which they uh, might have to shift? And, and some of the response here we find, you know, they're going to, th- these guys, th- their worship calls them to give these really expensive gifts to Jesus. Might affect our finances or the way that we spend our time, Sunday morning or other times, right? The relationships that we have, all kinds of things affected. And it makes us a little bit, we, we get uncomfortable oftentimes with things changing. We like the way that they are. And so, uh, that, that makes at times worship difficult because it might mean that we would have to give something up. We also deal with the fact that we have doubt. I mean, this story, right? Like there's a star in this guy. We try to, maybe you've read explanations of what was going on with the star and why it was the North Star or why it was this particular star. Or it was a planet or it was a comet or all the kind of things to explain away uh, this supernatural work because our minds don't really like the idea of the supernatural. I mean, l- let's just be honest. If if we're believing this story for followers of Jesus, the star, we're, we're talking about God becoming a man and being born to a virgin and that he's going to live and he's going to die and he's going to rise again from the dead. The, the star is a part of that supernatural work is a pretty small part. But we, let's admit, we all, whether we're followers of Jesus or not, we have doubts at different times and sometimes more and sometimes less. And, uh, and whether we're, uh, following Jesus and dealing with doubts or whether we think, I'm not sure I want to follow Jesus because I have these doubts. Uh, we, we need to be honest about those things. And worship doesn't preclude uh, having doubts. We come with our doubts at, at play. And we come into this story of supernatural work. And we can uh, recognize that it's okay to have those doubts and to be honest about them and to, to deal with them. And I, I talk about some of the resources out there um, some of the biggest questions that we might have uh, and reasons to address those. One of the, one of the great resources, uh, a great book, there, there are many, um, Reason for God by Tim Keller that I've mentioned, Confronting Christianity by Rebecca McLaughlin is a newer one. Uh, is God a Moral Monster uh, is uh, a good one. His last name is Copen. Uh, and, and that actually deals with this fact that we, we question sometimes because life is so messy. This Christian story, I, I don't know, there's too much evil and brokenness in the world. And one of the beautiful things about this story, beautiful though really hard, is it dives into really messy parts of this world. Because what's going on with Herod? His, his power is challenged uh, to the point that he wants to, we see in verse 13, that he wants to destroy the child. He wants to destroy Jesus, verse 13, so that Joseph is warned and, and told to go down to Egypt, to flee, to go to Egypt because Herod is out to destroy him. And then we actually know it gets worse from there. Uh, verse 16, uh, just a few verses later, we, we didn't have it read. But verse 16 tells us that Herod came to Bethlehem. He was angry about the, the wise men not returning to him and telling him where Jesus was. And so he kills every child, male child, under two years old in Bethlehem. I mean, this is like, Intense, broken evil 
And, uh, and Bethlehem was probably a, a town of about 1,500 folks. It was not a huge town. This was probably 15 to 20 kids. Horrible. 15 to 20 infant boys murdered. Uh, the Bible doesn't like, gloss over the brokenness of this world. This is, in fact, why Jesus is here as an infant, living in the world, living in the mess, dealing with it himself, so that he might bring hope in the midst of it. So that he might ultimately fix what is broken. And so there, there is this beauty that we need to recognize that the Bible is clear that, uh, about the brokenness. And it's also clear that there is a promise to fix that brokenness and it comes in, in Jesus. So let's be honest about the things that distract us, that make worship difficult. Whether it's distractions, whether it's our comfort level, the things that we might have to give up, whether it is the doubts that we have. In order to worship, we have to acknowledge those things. Um, and, and then even as we do, then we have the opportunity to be drawn in as we hear the story. Um, to, to be drawn in, as, you know, as I opened uh, the, the cookbook and see there's, you know, it's, oh, this is, this is us. This is a, about us. We, we should be opening up God's word and we open up, it's about us. So there's the question, are we ones who are Herod in Jerusalem where we're challenged, where we're, we're uncomfortable with the idea of the king coming? Yeah, absolutely, we're, we're them at times. But then there's this also this question, are, are we the wise men who would come from a far-off land? We are not Jews uh, looking around this room. I think that applies. Uh, uh, and, and we're invited into to worship of King Jesus. Uh, we have this opportunity regularly to open up the scripture and say, uh, this is a story about me. Where, where do I fit in in this story? And how do I deal with the things that might distract me from this story? And what that means is that it, it sometimes requires us to be intentional about worship. If this story is true, if Jesus is this infant in this moment worthy of worship, then, then we should be worshiping as well. Because we actually know more of the story, more of his worthiness. We know that he sacrificed himself. That's why he came as a baby. Uh, that's why he lived in order to die. But we also know that he rose from the dead. If the story is real and true, then we can't help but with the wise men fall down and worship him. But to do that sometimes takes intentionality. We see the intentionality clearly that the wise men had. They go on this incredibly long journey. Uh, arduous journey, probably at least 40 days on camels or donkeys. Uh, you know, they're not staying at the Hampton Inn. It, this, is a rough, this is a rough journey that they go on to come and to worship Jesus. They were very intentional about it. Uh, and, you know, so the question, what does it look like for us to be intentional? It's not, there's not a requirement to go on this kind of, of journey. But they made this in light of the reality of who Jesus was. And one of the things that that, that we see is happening here, it's consistent with all of Scripture and actually all of our lives, is that uh, intentionality is something that we need in order to, to live in light of this reality. Because the truth is we're worshiping something whether we're intentional about it or not. That our lives are directed somewhere whether we're intentional about it or not. And so the question is, what are we worshiping and are we intentional about what we're worshiping or not? David Foster Wallace is a, a critically acclaimed author. 
He wrote uh, one of his most famous novels is Infinite Jest, which is sometimes considered like the, the hipster novel. Um, and I tried to read it. Uh, you know, I was told when we moved here, Fountain Square, it's a, uh, it's a place for hipsters. And, um, and it's, it's still true, though maybe not as much as it was. But uh, it was a hard book to read. It's a really long book and uh, lots of stories. I didn't, I didn't finish it. Uh, but I finished this quote that I'm going to read for you. <laughs> From David Foster Wallace, uh, and there's a lot of wisdom here. David Foster Wallace, not a follower of Jesus, um, but this is what he says about worship. He says, because here's something else that's weird but true. In the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there's actually no such thing as atheism. There's no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worships. The only choice we get is what to worship. And the compelling reason for maybe choosing some sort of God or spiritual type thing to worship, be it JC or Allah, be it Yahweh or the Wiccan Mother Goddess or the Four Noble Truths or some inviolable set of ethical principles, is that pretty much anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, they are where you tap real meaning in life. Then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. It's the truth. Worship your body and beauty, and sexual allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally grieve you. On one level, we all know this stuff already. It's been codified in myths, proverbs, cliches, epigrams, parables, the skeleton of every great story. The whole trick is keeping the truth up front in daily consciousness. We all worship something, is what he's saying. And he, he, he notes that, that it has to be something eternal. Now, as followers of Jesus, we would say it's not an option of all of these or any of these, right? It's Jesus. It's the king. And we've talked about that over the last number of weeks. And it's only him. Because only he has power over death itself. Only he has actual eternity in his hands. That's the, his nature as the king of kings and lord of lords. But... David Foster Wallace is right to say that the whole trick is keeping that truth up front in daily consciousness, keeping that intentionally in front of us, because otherwise we're worshiping something else. And it's often those stories around us and some of the things that he mentions, but it's other things as well, reputation and success and beauty or things. But all of those things will let us down. All of those things will fail. And what we need to do, the trick, is keeping that truth up in front of us daily. We need that intentionality. It's something we choose to do and to recognize that as we worship and we actually do the act of what we call worship, we think of worship and sometimes we think of just like the songs and it is those things, but it's the whole worship service, but actually all of life is worship and there are particular ways in which prayer and the word fall into that. But those things actually shape us. They direct us toward what is true, this beautiful story. And, and I think it's helpful to recognize that as well, because sometimes we think of worship as just emotional uh, response to God's good gift. And, and we, we want to actually move toward our emotions being shaped. But that's not the place that we begin. We begin, look, our, the way that we order our service has intentionality to it. The songs we pick and uh, the confessions that we confess and all of those things, they have intentionality of, of shaping us around the gospel story. Some of you have heard me tell the story before when, when we were in Denver and part of a church plant there in the first few months of the church, 
we, we went through, it was at least three different worship leaders. And one of them was, uh, uh, it, it does make me a lot of reasons I'm thankful, but uh, super thankful for Matt to have led us now over eight years. The guy we started with, so some beauty to that consistency for sure. Uh, so one of the guys, though, he believed that worship was only genuine and should only happen if he was feeling it. Um, and that meant that we had a, uh, when we had a worship guide printed, just very similar to the one that we use here, um, it was just kind of a general guideline for him. So he would not sing parts of it. He would add parts in. Uh, he would go back and repeat things. It, you could not follow it if you're in the congregation. And we even talked about it. This is that, you know, the, the, the design. It's, it's, it, it meant that, I guess, he was worshiping up front, and we all just got to watch him. And uh, that's actually not what worship is about and for. It is, it's something that shapes us, all of us, and we all participate in it. And that's why we have a worship guide that we use that we can follow along with because we're all joining in and being shaped by that. So the primary purpose of worship actually is to be shaped by our Lord. And does it lead to emotional response and, and joy? Absolutely. But that's not the place that it starts. And so we find this need to be intentional around worship. And, and to be clear, it, it does lead somewhere. So I'm not just saying that worship is all about knowing the right things or doing the right things. And, uh, and there are multiple ways that a worship service could look uh, and be beautiful and shape us, right? Uh, but um, we do need to be intentional about the way that we engage in worship. And that's true not only for Sunday mornings, but it's true for individual worship, for family worship, all of those things. But the last thing that we see is that as we move through the difficulties, as we allow the story to draw us in and, and, and allow us to then be intentional about worship, uh, that we do find that it absolutely leads to joy. That this is a, a place that, that worship draws us. Verse 10 is this beautiful verse of they, they see the star. Uh, this is toward the end of their journey. And they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And, and it feels a little bit redundant here. Uh, maybe a lot redundant. But the, the point that Matthew is making in these words is to emphasize how joyful they were. They rejoiced. And, and, and maybe you think, well, that's sufficient, right? No, they rejoiced exceedingly. And then not only did they rejoice exceedingly, they did it with joy, but not only with joy, with great joy. They rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. As they see this story, they were drawn in in such a way that they couldn't help but worship him. So they go into the house, and I love this picture of them going into the house. Again, they're not at the manger. They're in this uh, likely very humble home. I mean, just, you know, picture your home. Picture uh, a friend's home, sitting there with a toddler, and they walk in. I think that's actually this, this, like, this is not the way I normally think of the story. Here's this toddler, just this family living here, and they fall down in worship, verse 11. They fall down, they can't help but worship this toddler. And then they lay down gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh, these incredibly valuable gifts that they give. This, this affects their life. They're shaped by it. And they're, they're led to this incredible joy. And, and it is then helpful to know that it's not just about being intentional, right? That, that too often we think 
that our, our lives as Christians is just doing the right things. Okay, so here's the story. I, gotta, I, gotta, I have to now respond. I've got to put away the distractions and deal with my doubts. Uh, and I have to be willing to give everything up and just, okay, now I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to do it. I'm going to worship God, and then I'm going to have, have joy, right? Fortunately, that's not the gospel. This is a part of the gospel story that is much bigger. What, what we find is that we're drawn in by a supernatural work and, and power. It's not just about behavior. And, and this last week, preparing both for uh, Friday night and, and today, I, I found an article on the um, Scientific American and the title is, What is Christmas Spirit? And um, it was interesting that uh, in this question of, so it was, What is Christmas Spirit? Subtitle, Where does the idea of Christmas come from? Jesus not mentioned once. Now, even if you're not a follower of Jesus, that's a bit ridiculous. But um, where does the idea of Christmas Spirit come from? And why does it hinge so much on behavior? Why does it hinge on behavior? Christmas Spirit itself following Christ, often people think it's about, it's just about behavior. It's what I do. So with worship, we got to do worship right. And there is something to be thoughtful and intentional about the way we do worship. If we think about Sunday morning, what does our morning before this look like? What does even Saturday night look like? How does it affect uh, the way that we come before God and worship? But the bigger idea is that we're drawn in that he's doing the work, that he's the one drawing us in. That we find here this supernatural work of the star, the star, the dreams that led, uh, we, we see it just in, in profound ways <clears throat> for the wise men, that they were drawn by a supernatural work to this place, to this moment, to worship Jesus. But the same is true for us. We can't worship him unless the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit draws us to him. We can't worship him unless we embrace the work that he has done. I mean, one of the reasons I was uh, drawn in and experienced the joy of my daughter's gift because it was something that she did and she worked on. And, and, it, and it elicited joy, right? And, uh, and I, I feel like I'm not a good gift giver, you know, so when Steph opens her stocking and she unwraps it, it's like, oh, yeah, this is great. I, I bought it and gave it to you and suggested you put it in my stocking, Right. It doesn't have quite the same experience of uh, opening, uh, whether it's the cookbook or uh, Libby thoughtful enough to find a flashlight that uh, similar to the one that I had used in somewhere we stayed over Thanksgiving, knowing that that would be something I would be excited. And I totally was. I'd actually looked at some flashlights the other day and thought, oh, maybe I'll. No, and I was totally surprised to get a flashlight. And then Patton gets me a blanket from his time in Mexico. I don't know if you guys know, Patton was in Mexico for four and a half months. He's back. Uh, and, uh, and there's, there's joy in receiving those gifts, right? Um, because of the thought and the work that they put into it, because of what they did. Worship comes with joy because it's joy in what the Lord has done for us. It's his power that draws us in. That we can't just gin it up on our own. We're celebrating and resting in his work. And Yes, it allows us to deal with distractions and to be intentional, but it, it's because he did it that we can come and experience the joy of worshiping him because the Holy Spirit changes our hearts and lives. I pray that we rest in his gift and that we are able to worship with joy as a result.